The nail in the coffin! Hey, welcome to The Nail, episode number 26. I am Tom Valentino. I am joined by Travis Uli. We are recording on Thursday night. Trav, how's it going? Good, Tino. Good as always. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. The uh, NBA playoff field is set. The Cavs are going to open up at home on Sunday against the Pistons. I know that's good for you with uh, your plans for the weekend. You're heading down to game one, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going down to Columbus on Saturday, or on Friday, actually, but... The game being on Sunday allows me to stay an extra night, and then yeah, I'll we'll, uh, I'll be in the queue for game one on Sunday uh, Sunday afternoon, which is kind of a weird time for a game, but personally, I like it. Yeah, they uh, they like throwing the, uh, the the marquee teams on the afternoon slots, like Golden State's playing at uh, three o'clock or three thirty on Saturday, and then the Cavs get that top slot on Sunday, and for whatever reason, they decide that's the the best one to get. So um, we'll get into that a little bit more. First thing I really wanted to jump into, though, was the Browns, just because there was so much going on this week, and we actually are starting to get close to the draft finally. And I know that uh, there was a really big trade today, and it wasn't the Browns making the trade, but uh, it's going to really impact their uh, draft plans. Uh, the Titans and the Rams, the Titans traded out of the first spot and got a whole uh, shitload of picks from the uh, the Rams in return so that the Rams now can move up to number one and presumably draft a quarterback. What was your reaction when you saw that move announced? Uh, I wasn't terribly surprised by it. I think, um, I think I was maybe a little surprised that it was the Rams doing it after they were on the opposite end of that a couple of years ago in the RG3 deal. Um, yeah, how but, crazy is that, by the way? Yeah, so, funny. 2012, uh, the Browns were sitting in a position where they thought they were going to be able to get the QB that they wanted. They knew Andrew Luck was going to be out of the out of the mix just because the Colts were desperate for a quarterback and they had the number one pick. But the Browns felt pretty good about their chances of getting RG three, and there was really only one spot, I guess, in front of them where it was any sort of a concern. And sure enough, the Rams jumped up there. Or um, no, I'm sorry. The, the Rams Redskins, traded out Redskins of that yeah. um, and gave the Redskins the opportunity to leapfrog them uh, in order to steal away RG three. Now four years later, the Browns end up with RG three, but they're still looking for a quarterback. There's one spot in front of them that could mess everything up, and once again, it's the Rams involved only on the other end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of all the teams, that just kind of part of it sounds a little off the fact that it's sort of a, a radical change in um, mindset from what they did a couple years ago. But at the same time, this is a team who's not very good. The Rams, they're okay. They have a solid defense. Um, they got a good I, running back. Gurley's they, uh, awesome. Yeah, Gurley's good. He's he's the real deal. He's legit. Um, I, but overall, they don't look like a team that's all that exciting. Um, and they're going to uh, the really they have a, a whole new fan base they need to win over in LA and I don't know that you could realistically trot Case Keenum out there uh, to start next season so it makes a lot of sense that they would want a quarterback and they would want to draft um, get a splashy pick to get people excited because in fairness they're going to have that that honeymoon period this year anyways where they don't really still don't really need to be all that good um, they just need to maybe show some promise so for, for them it, it while it is a, a departure from what we're used to seeing out of them, it makes a lot of sense for where they're at as an organization. I think um, that's what I think of the actual trade. Now, how, as far as uh, how it affects the Browns, I'm not so sure. What do you think? Well, first off, I think it's kind of almost comical. I saw a couple of reporters, uh, two in particular, Peter King of SI and Adam Schefter of ESPN saying that the Rams are not sure which QB they're taking which, I'm sorry, I think that's the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. There's there, no chance. There, you, don't, uh, you don't trade up. You don't give up that much if you don't know who you want. That's exactly right. Um, there, there's just no way. I mean, for the amount of picks and future assets that they gave up, you have to have a specific target in mind. Now, if you don't want to divulge who that is ahead of time, 
I totally understand that. And that could have been reported as such, and nobody would have looked silly in the process. But to try to sell us all on this notion that they don't know who they want, I mean, come on, get out of here. Yeah, they absolutely know who they want. I think there's really only two reasons, and and they're truthfully, they're legitimate reasons why they wouldn't just come out and say who they want. One, sort of as a favor to um, the league to keep interest building up to the draft, gives people something else to talk about. And for their fans, I mean, it's going to be these new LA Rams fans is going to be their first draft, and that kind of takes a lot of splash out of it if you go into it already knowing who they're going to take. Um, the other being, if if they're fairly certain who they're going to take, um, and say they come out and announce we're taking Wentz or we're taking Goff, whoever the case is, and for some something weird happens, say, I don't know, the kid gets in a fight at a bar this weekend or, you know, whatever happens, um, you can't really backtrack at that point. <laughs> While if you don't say who it is, you can easily just if it's something happens that changes your mind, then you can, but yeah, like you said, if they trade up that far, they know who they want. They know who they're going to target. Now that can certainly change, but to say that, you know, they're going to decide between these two guys, I think is, I don't know. I'm not buying it. I, I think, I mean, those are all valid reasons, but really I think even bigger than all of that is that you're going to see a lot in the next couple of weeks between now and when the draft happens, I think it's two weeks from tonight, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff about them leaning one way or leading the other. I know a lot of people, when the trade was first announced, seemed to think that it was presumably for them to go get Carson Wentz. And Schefter, while he did say, uh, not sure who they're taking, he, he did say that it seemed like they were leaning towards Goff. And I think they're going to be putting smoke screens out there both ways because I think they want to try to gauge which one the Browns are leaning towards. And um, in that case, <laughs> do you think they're going to try to trade with the Browns? Now yes, I absolutely do. I think, down? I think they're trying to scare the it. Browns I think into trading up in, in threatening to take the one of the two QBs that they want and saying, well, we, we like them both. And um, if it turns out that they like Wentz and the Browns like golf, then the Browns have got to, uh, I guess, hold steady and, and not blink and just trust their instincts there. But if it does happen that they both want the same QB, um, that opens up a whole new scenario. But yeah, I, I think given how much that they gave up, you're not going to get all of that back by trading down from one to two, but you could certainly recoup a couple of those picks, especially if that team that's drafting number two is every bit as desperate for a quarterback, if not more so than you are. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, don't forget like that going back to that 2012 draft when the Browns, um, missed out on RG three. I mean, they were, they had the fourth pick and the third pick in that draft was Minnesota and the Browns ended up taking Trent Richardson and Minnesota somehow, uh, hoodwinked them into thinking that they were looking at drafting Richardson, I think. And, I and for, uh, bamboozled. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it scared him into moving up there. And, I mean, they had Adrian Peterson, and there's no uh, Adrian Peterson of quarterbacks on the Rams roster now, so you could absolutely um, run the same kind of charade now. So, yeah, I, I think uh, there's absolutely going to be some chess ma- uh, a chess match going on between those two teams for the next couple of weeks. I could see them maybe trying it now, but I just don't see it happening. I don't. I don't know. I, I've, I actually heard someone say that earlier, and it made me laugh a little bit. And I've maybe there's a little more credence to it than I originally thought, but overall, it just seems like a crazy idea. Because um, truthfully, I think no matter what, if you make that trade, if you're LA, you come off looking like you uh, settled for the second guy. I think. Um, it doesn't look like an aggressive move. It looks passive, like you're just trying to stockpile picks, which obviously they're not doing considering what they gave away. But I don't I don't know. I don't think it's an exciting thing for fans. Um, and I think the Rams are in a sort of unique position that they need to placate fans and get them excited and get them interested because, yeah, they're in a huge market now. Um but it's also a market that's not particularly known to give a shit about football. So um, 
I don't know. Maybe they're trying that to see if they can pull something out of their ass, but I don't see it happen. And I think, especially with this new regime, I don't think they're uh, the style that we're going to see out of them is one that is giving up significant picks to move up one spot from two to one in a draft. If you're the Browns, at least I hope so. At least I hope so. Okay, if you're the Browns and the the Rams go ahead and take whichever of the two quarterbacks that you're leaning towards internally right now, would you be comfortable with taking the other quarterback? Or at that point, are you looking at a, either a different position or are you looking to trade down? Well, full disclosure, I don't think they should take either quarterback. I'm not quarterback okay. guy in this class. I don't. I, I look at a lot of teams and I think – with the team that has as many holes as the Browns have, um, you really need to stick to the best player available philosophy. And I don't think either of these two quarterbacks are one of the two best players in this draft. So that being said, if they think one of them is, um, I mean, truthfully, I think they need to stick to their board in either case, even if they have, uh, I this will sound crazy, and I, I'm not sure I even 100% believe it myself. But say they have, I don't know, Ramsey as number one, Jalen Ramsey as number one, and Wentz is two. If Wentz is there and Ramsey is there, I still say go Ramsey, even if the the gap is that small. And we both know how important the quarterback position is. I still think you need to stick to your board, take the best available player. Um, and go with it that way. I don't. I don't want no. And to answer your original question, no, I don't want to settle for their second, the second quarterback they wanted, um, unless they think they're per, unless they think they're fairly even. And you know, it's one of those situations where gun to your head, I'll pick this one, but I really like them both. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of amazing that this whole mess ends up being created because of that one stupid otherwise meaningless win that the Browns got in December over the 49ers. It was like one last parting gift from good old Johnny football that he had one game uh, where he actually came close to looking like a a complete quarterback and led them uh, with a pretty good performance to a win. Because if they don't win that game, they're picking number one overall right now. And all of this uh, gamesmanship back and forth and worrying about what a team in front of you is doing, all of that goes away. So even when he's not on our roster anymore, Johnny Manziel is still coming back to bite us in the ass. So thank you for that, Johnny. Just when we thought we were out, he pulls us back in. Unbelievable. We can't get away from him. And it, it, he, he's just haunting this franchise. You're right. I mean, it seems like that's always the way it is with the Browns. They're one pick away one or two slots away from where they really want to be. Um, they, you know, they'll win six games, and if they had only won five, it puts them in that. If you go back and look, I think you'd be amazed at how many instances there are where it's like, God, if we could have just been a couple slots higher, it would have made a huge difference. It's depressing. It's 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 so weird, too, because it's not like they're in – bad draft spots they're a bad team they're always in fairly good draft spots they're just not quite high enough for it to be where they want to be um you look at it in the luck like you said in the luck and rg3 draft now that rg3 pick doesn't look like it would have been as great as maybe originally expected but um there was two quarterbacks they needed to be one or two and they were four they ended up getting a running back at the three spot. They were able to trade up one spot, but still not high enough. It's like, that, and that's always how it seems to go, I think. And then they end up trading a couple spots to get in the end of the first and take some garbage quarterback. Who knows who it is? Quinn, Whedon, Manziel, take your pick, whichever one. They always end up scraping their way in and settling for some other guy that they should have passed on it completely. That's my biggest thing I feel like this year is if you want to go get a quarterback in this draft, I feel like you got to go for one of those top two. Um, And if you don't want one of those guys, then I I don't want one of these uh, project QBs in one of the middle rounds or late first round or or any of that. I I want a top prospect from the draft. Um, I'm just, I'm tired of rolling the dice with those guys. Uh, yeah. And I know yeah, sometimes I at, on other teams, those guys end up panning out, and, and that's great. But 
Never seems to happen here. I, I want to swing for the fences with a, with a top flight quarterback or or just don't go for a quarterback this year. I mean, you got a guy like Deshaun Watson of uh, Clemson who's going to be coming out next year. Yeah, see, I don't really agree in that in that instance. I look at um, specifically the one instance that I keep looking at because it's pretty close to Hugh Jackson is um, when the Bengals were drafting uh, a few years ago when the Browns traded away the chance to take Julio Jones, but um, they passed on a quarterback at, I think, four and took the best player on the board, A.J. Green, who's turned out to be really good, and then they snagged Dalton up in the second. Between that A.J. Green pick at four where they could have taken a quarterback and when they took Dalton in the second, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder all went off the board. Those are guys that are just going into bad positions. Now, the Bengals were a bad team. They were drafting fourth overall. They weren't a good team at that point, but they took the best player, and that's the way that you build a roster. If you're going to get the most talent for your pick, I think you're okay taking one of those guys in a second or third round. He doesn't need to be a star right away, but I think you want to get a guy in there if you think he's the guy, if you think he can be the guy and he has that ability and you can coach him that way. I don't think any of these guys are going to come in and light the league on fire next year, no matter what. So all you can really hope for is that a guy comes in, takes his lumps, learns from it, and you can build from him. But ultimately, we just have to trust that the coach picks the right guy for that role. On the flip side, though, I think the Browns have way more holes to fill than the Bengals did at that point when they drafted Dalton. So I, I would be of the I mindset that... I think if you want to look and, and, and look back at it, I mean, they've they've lucked out on several guys, um, particularly on the defensive side. Um, their defense is really built around these guys who no one else really wanted, and they kind of stole and turned out to be better players, like Pac-Man Jones and Vontez Perfect, these guys who, you know, they, they plucked out and got incredible value for and were able to build around and turn their team into something different. I don't know. It's just going to be such a long damn road for the Browns here. Uh, just one more note that I wanted to throw in here. Not really, uh, no smooth segue from where we were at on that, but just in terms of uh, the Rams swinging for the fences and, and trading into the number one overall slot to get a quarterback, uh, Bill Barnwell of ESPN pulled a great stat from uh, ESPN's uh, Stats and Info department. Here is the list of quarterbacks that were acquired via trades into the top five since 1990. So basically, the the situation that the Rams are in now only, not just the top overall pick, the top five. RG3, who we've talked about, Mark Sanchez, Michael Vick, Ryan Leaf, Kerry Collins, and Jeff George. So wait, what is that? They were what? These are, are teams that traded up into the top five. Uh, since 1990 to draft a quarterback in the top five. They were out of the top five. They traded up into the top five to draft a quarterback. Well, that's not true. I know the San Diego Atlanta one um, where they took Vic, San Diego traded down like three spots that took Tomlinson at like four. Um, And I want to say San Diego only traded down one, traded up one spot to get Leaf. Hmm. So it might just be that teams were trading up to take a guy in the top five, regardless of where they originally were. Yeah. Um, Maybe I misinterpreted that, but I just looked at that that lineup of quarterbacks and and was like, wow, I I might put uh, put the champagne away for now if I'm Los Angeles and and yeah, it's actually funny. Another, I was talking to another uh, buddy of mine today, and he's basically saying like, um, his line was essentially that. Um, if you take like I'm trying to remember how exactly he worded it, but essentially was a vast majority of the the quarterbacks in the league that are good were picked in the top ten. Um, which I went back and looked, and it appears that that's a not very true. But b if you take a quarterback in the top ten, he's far more likely to be a bust than he is to be good. Um. I counted 27 since the Browns came back and only uh, probably 15 to 16 would easily fall into that category of bust. Um, And ironically, I actually looked 
And of the quarterbacks that have been taken in the top 10 since the Browns came back, only three of them turned out to be like the best quarterback from that draft, which is sort of strange. Like your Alex Smith was a top 10 quarterback, but Aaron Rodgers was taken later and he's clearly far and away a better quarterback than him. So Um, who would have been the quarterbacks then? Andrew Luck? Andrew Luck was one. Roethlisberger, Um, was he a top 10? Roethlisberger was 11, actually. Oh, wow. I thought he was Um, like nine. And he was the third quarterback off the board. So, because mm. um, remember, that was the Eli Rivers draft as well. Oh, that's right. They were all in the same draft. Which, if you look back, that's an incredible that's an incredible quarterback class for, for one year. The fact that if the Browns had snagged up a quarterback that year, um, how different their, uh, their uh, f- uh, fortunes may have been going forward from there. But... Um, yeah, I think Matt Ryan was one of them because that class was horrible. Um, Stafford was another one because that class was terrible. But um, overall, those guys lately, in the last 15 years or so, the first quarterback off the board, more often than not, not that good, especially when he's in the top 10. Uh, Cam Newton was another one. I think so. That would be. I guess that would be four. Um but still more often than not, like Sam Bradford was in one and he was no good. He might be the best quarterback from that class, but that class was garbage. They had Tebow and Clawson. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Right, exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, you look, even the even the Andrew Luck one, you can make the argument that Russell Wilson's the best quarterback from that class. Well, he's had more success. He absolutely has. And I mean, he's he's looked like a legit franchise quarterback. Now Andrew Luck has a little more of that stuff that you, if you were starting a franchise, maybe. But I think Russell Wilson's wildly exceeded anyone anyone's expectations of how good he could be. I also think he's got a much better cast around him. Oh, no question, no question. Especially when he came in, the running game that they had with Marshawn Lynch was incredible, as well as a really good defense. So yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no arguing that. But he doesn't have any. He doesn't have a T.Y. Hilton nor, you know, any of those weapons that Luck has either. So at the same time, I don't know. I guess. Fair to say you couldn't go wrong with either of those guys. Right. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, easily. But I guess the my biggest thing is just take the best player. If if you think the quarterback is there and you think he's the guy that's a franchise guy, take him. If. I think the, a formula for failure in the NFL is drafting very early in the first round based on need. I think that's a quick way to get yourself in trouble and put yourself behind the eight ball. Um, so really, I just want to take the best player and go from there. Yeah, but Personally, just I guess I the, think it's Ramsey or Bosa. But oh, yeah, I just the, the part of the problem though is like the the league is so quarterback driven now that it just totally tips the scales in terms of. Um, the value on each player. And I think that's where you run into teams going after quarterbacks so often is they, they know it's so critical to have a good quarterback. But how many of those quarterbacks that are good don't have a lot of talent around them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, Cam Newton, maybe last year, his wide receiving core wasn't great. Um, but far and away, you look at the guys that have success and you're able to find they're not doing it alone quarterbacks even in the nfl yeah they're they're incredibly important but they don't win games by themselves very often at all that's true that's true um speaking of people who don't win games uh, by themselves um josh gordon <laughs> uh, oh, not- he's winning he's he- winning <laughs> left and right what, what is he winning uh he hasn't been forced to go to rehab by his agent yet so he's beating johnny i guess yeah i just uh that was pretty hysterical did you see that yesterday no uh, not, now what yeah, so rosenhaus basically delivered an ultimatum to johnny on the radio that if he doesn't go to rehab within the next five days rosenhaus is dropping him that and i did see and that would be the first client in what 27 years that rosenhaus has dropped. ever dropped yep and in the same interview, he basically uh, he took up for 
Josh Gordon in a much, much different fashion, didn't approach it the same way at all. Just said he hopes that, you know, he's able to get back in the league and play this year. So he's handling those situations very differently, which, which truthfully, when you, when I listen to him talk, it sounded like he is legitimately concerned for Johnny. Now, of course there's, there's a selfish aspect to that. I'm sure it's not totally selfless of him, but it, it seems like everybody that's around this kid just thinks he's got way too many issues right now. The stuff with Johnny football, I just, he's gone from the Browns and I hope he gets his life squared away. Um, I have legitimate concerns about his long-term health, just given the number of incidents and the number of serious things that he's had happen with him. But um, I, I guess as a Browns fan, I, uh, I, I just, it was a bit, it was a really unfortunate chapter here, and I wish the best to him wherever he goes from here. But Josh Gordon is still actually on the Browns roster, and I, I'm going to be honest. Well, like he's not on the roster. He's well, no, but he's still uh, he's still technically with the Browns franchise. Um, they, yeah, they hold his rights. They hold his rights, and if he ever plays uh, in a, another down in the NFL, as of right now, it's going to be in a Browns uniform. They'll at least have first right of refusal. Yeah. Are you surprised that they have not parted ways with him? No, I don't see the point in, in letting him go. Um, it costs them nothing. There's zero risk to it. Um, I'm not even sure that it really sends a message to anyone. Everybody's like, oh, you need to change the culture. I don't know what culture gets better by uh, cutting guys loose that can play that can help you win games. Um, especially in a league that, quite frankly, half that locker room is probably smoking weed. So you're essentially letting him go for it. Now, does it speak to his intelligence, the fact that he can't seem to pass a drug test for his life? Okay, yes, absolutely. But I'm not, I, don't, I don't really see any benefit to letting him go when ultimately, I mean, teams have held on to guys who've done far worse um, and been rewarded for it. So, I, like I said, I just don't see any point in letting him go. There's no benefit. You don't gain anything from it. And I don't really think the players are thinking about it at all to where if you said, oh, yeah, we're letting him go, I don't think it changes the culture in that locker room at all. Okay, let me ask you this. Is he actually helping you win games? Because that was one of the things that you, you threw out there in making the case to keep him on the roster, um, I, I don't think he is. Uh, the best season that he had, his one great shining season, um, they, it was another five and eleven or or whatever uh, season in an endless string of them for the Browns. And the one season in the last six or seven years where they were actually a semi competent football team and went seven and nine, he missed the first ten games of the year. He came back for. Uh, the Atlanta game had a great game there. They did win, but the rest of the games he played, they lost. And I think he was inactive for the last game of the year. And I just like, I, I feel like his contributions, he's, it's not really helping. I don't really feel like you're, you're missing anything with his, um, without him there, I guess. Um, when I look at the Browns receiving core, and I have the option to add a first-team All-Pro to that, which he was the last. Do you ever think he's going to get back to that again, though? Honestly, to that level, I right? Mean, if you look at that production, it was unbelievable. So possibly not, but with that type of potential, you. Here's how I'll, I'll equate it to: say someone gave you hundred shares of a company. And those shares, say it's, it's a pretty crappy stock. It's, say it's worth five bucks a share. So it's worth five, $500. Are you just going to give that away because chances are it's going to decrease in value? There's a chance it increases in value. You lose nothing by holding on to it. There's no downside to it whatsoever because you didn't pay anything for it. It's not costing you anything to hold on to it. Why would you just dump it because it's not a, a good performer? I don't think that's an entirely 
um, solid analogy and just that the, the notion it's not costing them anything. It's a headache for them. I mean, they still have to be answering questions about this guy when he hasn't played it down for them in a year and a half now. They, um, you, I just, he has not, since he's been in the NFL, he has not gotten through a season without failing a drug test. And, but and it's it's one it's one question every every few months. He, no one was talking about him during the regular season. The only time anyone talked about him was around the time that uh, everyone was saying was when he was supposed to get um, reinstated. It's kind of funny because no one actually seemed to know when that was going to happen. And then it was just one day like, oh, yeah, now we have this decision and he's not going to get reinstated yet, which is a whole different <laughs> different matter. How how untransparent? I'm not sure what the opposite of transparent would be. <laughs> but The, the translucent? Uh, the opaque? <laughs> opaque. Okay, there, we'll use that. Um, the league is with these matters where the teams don't even seem to have a clue when they're going to know uh, more information on these things. So it's like... But that's a whole different issue, like I said. Um, it doesn't seem to be this thing that is hanging over the organization. It does seem to be this thing that's hanging over the fans and the media because, again, their their number one receiver is Brian Hartline, and they have a, their rights to a guy who, in theory, should be able to come in and help them. Um, but as far as is he helping them win games – no, but neither is anyone else on that team. Joe Thomas is the best player in the league this position for the last 12 years, and he hasn't helped them win any games. It doesn't mean you just let him, let him go because he's not the one that's helping you win games. No one else is either. If you're going to ever turn this dumpster fire of a franchise around, you can win with Joe Thomas. Yeah, I mean, there are other pieces, few and far between, though they might be that I think could be contributors on a winning team. I just don't see him, uh, Gordon that is, I just don't see him ever being a key cog in the machine for, for a team that um, it, it turns it around if it's ever going to be with the Browns. He might at some point uh, figure it out and get his head on straight. I just don't think it's ever going to happen with the Browns with where they're at as a franchise right now. They, they don't have... The, the locker room, they don't have the culture um, and, and, the, and the stability as a franchise to be able to uh, create an environment f- for him to get on track. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that's the case. But truthfully, I don't see any. If they came out tomorrow and they released him and said, okay, we're letting him go. We're, we don't want to deal with this anymore. Does that improve? the culture in the locker room i don't think it does it doesn't change anything no one in that locker room is is acting like he's there anyways i just don't see the point of keeping him on the roster or or in the inactive roster or whatever you want to uh, call it if if you know if you know you're never going to be able to count on him I, I just if he happens to go somewhere else and light it up i, I i'm gonna i'm not losing sleep at night because I've got three plus years of a track record of him screwing my franchise over multiple times and failing drug tests every single year. Uh, the one was an alcohol test. I don't know if that really. Okay. Counts. It was, it was yeah, it's, right. So, I mean, he's had off the field issues um, related to uh, uh, recreational uh, substances, shall we say. Uh, every single year, it's just it's it's one after another, and I just I'm tired of dealing with that. It just it's not like I just I, I can't I can't keep going back to that again and hoping that like oh this is now now he's suddenly going to become a model citizen for my team. You know what's funny is this is the second time of his he's failed I think three drug tests since he's been in the league. Um twice he has actually tested under the level that generates a a current a positive test now because they increased that threshold Mm -hmm. um, with the last cba 
Um, and the third one was for alcohol because he had a drink on a plane with one of his assistant coaches. If you if you if you actually look at the way that this guy keeps getting busted, it's like, how the hell does this keep happening? Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it's it's at this point, it's almost just an idiot test. It's like, can you do it? We don't really. We're not even seeing. We don't actually. Let's be honest. No one actually cares if anyone smokes pot anymore. That's so far beyond anyone's like, uh, like list of things that people care about. Um, at this point, it's just it's purely just a, a self-disciplined test. Can you do it? And he's presumably shown that he can't. Um, I mean, there's rumors that the last one, the I should say the first one he got that. It was a secondhand smoke thing, and the level was so low that that was feasible. And it sounds like that was probably what this was too. Um, but he still tried to. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know all the shit that goes into this. But the way that he keeps getting busted, I just think is is kind of hilarious. And you might be right. I mean, maybe they just need to cut bait, stop answering questions about it, and just get it over with. But you say they need to change the culture. I think they need to improve the talent level more than anything. And if you have uh, the rights to a potential talent, I don't think you can just cut them loose without getting anything in return. And no one's going to give you anything for it. So that's out of the question. Physical talents. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to question you there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's got the physical God given abilities, but I just don't look at him as much of a talent. If his talent can never actually be on the field. You know, it's funny because this, this thing has made me think of, um, you remember Justin Blackman? Yep. Like, I don't even think like he's been, I think he's sort of in the same position that Gordon is in, in that he was indefinitely like kicked out of the league, but I don't know what the hell's happened to him and no one talks about him anymore. And he was drafted. It's gotta be only like three or four years ago. I felt like he came in right around the same time as Gordon because Gordon was the supplemental draft. Um, Blackman was in, in the regular draft. Yeah, I think he was in the luck draft. I think he was right after Trent Richardson. Okay. Because Jacksonville, I think, drafted five that year. And it's like he's been in the league just as long as – he hasn't been in the league that long, yet he's – and maybe they talk about him in Jacksonville. I don't know. <laughs> but – he was supposed to be this all everything receiver and he had all the talent in the world and a couple drug tests and who knows whatever else. And he's just disappeared. Hmm. And I, I mean, that doesn't really apply to us in any way. I just find it funny that these guys who, you know, a little bit of suspension and then all of a sudden you're gone and no one ever hears from me again. Yeah, I, I honestly, I've lost track of uh, Justin Blackman. I'm, I'm not even sure what, what his situation is now, but um, I'm sticking with my prediction. I told you, I think it was last summer when we found out that uh, Josh Gordon was going to be out for a year. I said he's he'll never play another down for the Browns. And um, even if he gets reinstated later this summer, which I'm not holding my breath for, I still, I just, I don't think he's ever played another down here one way or another, whether they cut him or whether they can um, get him reinstated and they end up trading him to somebody else. Although I can't imagine what kind of trade value he'd have right now. I, I just, I'm going to be really surprised if he ever plays for the Browns again. Um, I'm going to stand by my prediction that the Browns will have the top two man receiving core in the league next year in Josh Gordon and Terrell Pryor. Okay, I'm not really going to stand by it, but... All right, I, just, I, I was going to say, just, I'm going to just, like, let the air breathe there for a second and yeah. give you a chance to change your mind. I just wanted to repeat that one. I'll, I'll own my uh, my bad calls when they're out there. Um, that one was clearly a bit of wishful thinking to begin with, but um, I truly... I, I'll be honest, I don't know why I keep thinking it, Um but I keep thinking he's gonna get back in eventually, and it's gonna, and he's gonna contribute again. I don't know why I'm so different with him than I am with pretty much any other player. Like, well, I think it's probably reason. because he's got physical abilities that are completely different from any other player the Browns have drafted. Maybe. I mean, it could just be that yeah, they took a chance on this guy, and he showed glimpses of being really good. And he, I mean, yeah, he was first team All Pro a couple of years ago, so. 
I mean, that's not just titles that they give out. Um, it's not like NBA All-Star games where you can be like the fifth alternate and or Pro Bowls where, right. you know, everybody seems to get a Pro Bowl eventually. Um, so, yeah, maybe it is like, hey, they finally got a guy and I'm just hoping against hope that it finally comes together. But who knows? I'll keep my fingers crossed. Um if and, and I'll be honest, I, I say hold on to him because what's the point? But if they came out tomorrow and they said, hey, we're letting him go, I wouldn't have any problem with it. I wouldn't crush him for it. All right. Well, quickly, let's let's move on here. The one thing I wanted to say before we get off the Browns is um, if Josh Gordon ever does play this year, the odds are it's going to be at 1 o'clock on a Sunday um, because uh, the Browns schedule came out earlier tonight, and uh, it is um, – pretty low profile i would say about as low a profile a schedule as you could possibly have for an nfl franchise and uh not really surprising given what the browns were coming off of last year and what their prospects are looking like but i would say that you could get a pretty good idea of where the nfl thinks you're going to fall in the pecking order based on the way they put your schedule together and this, for several reasons, is the most brutal schedule I've ever seen in the league hand the Browns by a wide, wide margin. Just unbelievably tough. And that's just setting aside the opponents because, like, the opponents are, are set ahead of time. And there's only two spots on your schedule every year that are affected um, by the standings from the previous season. Um, so the other 14 out of 16 teams that you're going to play in any given year, I can tell you from every year from now um, until the next time the league either realigns or expands. So the opponents aside, the league just really did the Browns uh, no favors this year. Um, yeah, and they don't have any, like, there's no, they're thrown right into the fire to start the season. Five, five out of their first seven, seven the on the road. The other two, the two home games are uh, Baltimore and New England. Yeah. <laughs> so you got that. Um, they also somehow managed to close their season on the road. They get their one mandatory Thursday night football game. That's their one and only primetime appearance for the season. That's on the road. They have the latest possible buy date that you could have. And, uh, and yeah. Um, and then, so just if, if you're a team that's like trying to get going, trying to build some excitement for the year. Uh, I mean, they're going to have a hard enough time selling tickets for a lot of those games to begin with. You can remember by the end of last year, people literally were like leaving. uh, I think one of the radio stations uh, left a pair of tickets sitting under a beer bottle on a table at at one of the bars on West 6th and tweeted out a picture of it. And they still couldn't get anybody to claim free tickets to a game. And you're going to have your schedule next year very backloaded. When, I mean, I think all the optimism for the year is going to be any optimism that you might have talked yourself into at the beginning of the year is going to be long since gone. Um, it's just brutal. And, and then the other thing, and when you look at um, just get back to like the, the whole like glamour aspect of it, I mean, I wasn't really expecting the Browns to get a, a whole lot of primetime appearances. I mean, Sunday night football, I mean, just when you're looking at each week, Sunday night football is the biggest game of the week in the NFL's eyes. And then from there, they need to fill Monday night football. They need to fill in a Thursday night game and the late Sunday afternoon game. Um, they always have one of those that's at like 425. It's like the featured afternoon game. And then pretty much everything else is dumped in at one o'clock. And every single game for the Browns is at one o'clock. And when you consider that they've got games this year against the NFC East, which is like the show pony division of the NFL, given the franchises that are in that division. Uh, you've got the Patriots. You've got the Steelers twice. I mean, you've got a ton of big-name opponents, and they only play the NFC East once every four years, and you still can't get out of um, 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I mean, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's – I mean, yeah. It, the funny thing I will point out um, – Twitter seemed to light up when the schedule came out um, saying, oh man, now that we saw the schedule, the Browns are not going to, they're going to suck. They're not going to win. It's not the schedule. It doesn't matter if there's football teams on the schedule for the Browns to play against the Browns record is going to be bad. Um, Doesn't matter when they're playing, where they're playing, what channel they're on. The Browns are not a good football team. The schedule isn't the reason. 
the team is the reason. So you're hundred percent right. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with any of that. But they did them no favors with the schedule. Yeah. And, so. and it just, it sucks. Like if I'm a season ticket holder and knowing that you've got about eight to 10 weeks of good weather and then the last six weeks or seven weeks of the season are when it's um, starts getting pretty nasty around here, getting my schedule backloaded with home games at the worst part of the of the year weather-wise when you know for sure beyond and all doubt has been removed in terms of like where the Browns are and the standings and whatnot. And at that point, you're probably going to be openly tanking, trying to get a better pick for 2017. That just, that sucks as a, as a ticket holder. And I, I just, I think you are going to see a lot of orange seats down there next year, even more than usual. Yeah. And I mean, you saw a lot last year. I went, I went tailgating for probably, probably close to every game. I might've missed one or two and I could have gone to every game for free if I wanted to. There were people there giving away tickets, not thinking twice about it. Um, admittedly I didn't really have any interest because my couch is way more comfortable and the beer's cheaper Um, and let's quite frankly the the TV product for football is so good that who the hell wants to sit out in a cold windy rainy stadium in Cleveland to watch the Browns play football Um, but I digress on that one Um, yeah no one's gonna I don't expect much you would like to say with a new head coach that there would be some excitement and fans would get behind that a little bit, but the pro- it's going to take a few years. Mm. Well, I, uh, I can tell you one place where they're not going to have trouble selling tickets. And um, that's the cue for um, our basketball team. We've, uh, we've got the playoffs starting this weekend. Hey now, hey now. A much brighter note. Uh, yeah, we just spent, 45 minutes talking about the Browns when the Cavs are starting tomorrow. Yeah, I, I did not Our intend Saturday. on that discussion going as long. I mean, we haven't really talked Browns a whole lot, so I guess we had to, to catch up on it. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let, let, let's dive in on the Cavs here. We got the Pistons in the first round. Series starts on Sunday afternoon. Cavs are the uh, one seed in the East. Pistons coming in at number eight. Uh, I think it's just the first playoff appearance for the Pistons in what, about seven years? Yeah, it's been quite a while. I'm not sure if it's I'll, – I'll take your word for it on the 7, but I can't recall the last time. It It might have been – shit, it might have been like – I think it was 09 no, was, when the Cavs swept them in the first round. Okay, so yeah, I guess that sounds right. Jeez, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're right on. This year's season series between these teams um, – I think the Pistons did win three out of four, although I think you can pretty uh, decisively throw out the last game, the, uh, the the nonsense, the final regular season game where neither team played any of their starters last night. Uh, so um, the three games that actually had any sort of uh, semblance of uh, uh, competitiveness, um, the Pistons did win two out of three of those, uh, including uh, a game here in Cleveland. Um, that said, I just, um, I, I can't see. They're not, they're not the team that they were during the regular season. No, and I don't think during the, the regular season was pretty good, but they're going to, they're going to be operating at a much different level, I think. And I think we've seen LeBron building up to that for the last month and a half, two months or so. Um, increasingly getting more intense and demanding more at everyone. And I don't think anyone expects maybe one win for Detroit. Um, I think most probably think it's going to be a sweep, but in the playoffs, a team can always steal one game, I think. Um, but this isn't going to be a slugfest going seven games. No, I think there are going to be a couple of those in the East, and we'll get into those in a minute, but I do not think it's going to be this series. Uh, you're talking about LeBron ramping it up. Uh, our friend uh, Kevin Kleps from Cranes, um, in his blog this morning, had some great stats on LeBron, just really illustrating how tremendous he has been since the All-Star break. Um, his numbers since the All-Star break, 25.8 points per game, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He's shooting better than 55% from the floor, and he's shooting um, just a tick under 38% from three-point range. Um, and that's compared to shooting 27% from three-point range before the All-Star break. And he's making 76% of his free throws. 
Yeah, he was dreadful uh, from three at the beginning, uh, first half of the season. So to see that jumper come around a little bit is the, nice. The last 10 games, I mean, he, he's ramped it up to 28 points a game um, and, and 51%, 51.9%. So basically 52% from three-point range, which is astonishingly great for anybody. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a 10-game sample size, that. but if you're, Still, if you're it, looking it, for it, a direction um, uh, trending one way or the other, very encouraging for the Cavs to see his numbers going up like that. I, you don't happen to have his minutes, do you? I'm I do not. Curious. I'm not sure. I, I don't think they've gone up or down, truthfully. I think they've been pretty steady all season. I was just curious if those have fluctuated at all as they've tried to get him a little fresher, but I think they've just kind of been doing that in the sense of take a game off here and there. Um, I think most games, if he's playing, he's playing like what he should expect to. Um, all indications are he's playing or he's feeling everything he said is this is the best he's felt physically going into the playoffs in a long time, which is again, very encouraging. And I mean, you look at a game like that, that one on uh, Monday night against Atlanta where uh, the Cavs beat them to clinch the, uh, the first overall seed in the East. That was the last regular season game he played. I know he played 22 out of 24 minutes in the first half, but he was able to sit out the entire fourth quarter. So um, even a game like that where he has a heavy first half workload, it's still his minutes were able to keep somewhat manageable there. Um, I do think they've done a really nice job of of managing his minutes and and getting him into a position where um, I just knock on wood, I, I feel great about where he's at and his mindset and uh, everything we've seen from him. Um, coming down the home stretch, I know for the team overall, it's been a little up and down and there's been some concerns and those are 100% valid. But uh, I really, I feel really great about um, the most important guy on the roster and uh, just the way this whole season's gone and everything about his place in the league and, and, and the league hierarchy and um, the story that's happening with the Warriors uh, out west and and the, the history they're trying to make and I know they hit the 73 wins for the regular season I just I really think we have a, a chance to see something really special from LeBron uh, over these next two and a half months I'm I, I'm really excited for it yeah for sure I agree I, I like the way that they've I've, I've really liked the way that they've managed his minutes especially lately um yeah the, the things that we've heard from him have been Essentially, you know, I, I feel really good right now. I haven't felt this good in April in quite some time, and I think that's really what you're hoping for. You once, truthfully, I didn't even really care about them chasing the number one seed, and I'm not totally sure they did. Um, the way that they rested guys the last couple weeks, I'm not sure that that was number one priority to them. Um, I do think they they just sort of said, "Hey, we're in the playoffs. We'll." we're comfortable if, if we end up having to play a game, one extra game on the road or something, we like our chances a lot more. If everybody's got a little bit more uh, juice in them, especially yeah, LeBron, if, if he's got his legs and he feels like he's as close to hundred percent as he can be, you like your chances no matter what. Um, and it's not worth, uh, truthfully, I think golden state, we'll see time will tell if it actually kills them that, they worked that hard um but i think it's possible that maybe they expended a little too much energy chasing that regular season uh that regular season record um as opposed to spending their time really gearing up physically for the playoffs we'll find out um in terms of chasing the number one seed i mean i think for me personally keeping an eye on that uh, down the last six weeks or so it i don't know that i cared as much about them getting the home court as much as I was more interested in what matchups they were going to have to uh, deal with in the East. Um, they locked out big. They did. Big and that was what I was going to say. On the other side of the bracket is the team that I was like, eh, I'm, truthfully, I'm not that scared of any of them. This is but, pretty close to about as perfect uh, a, a breakdown mm-hmm. of the, the rest of the Eastern Conference bracket as I possibly could have asked for for the Cavs because you knew for the last two weeks, it was pretty much coming down to either seeing Indiana or Detroit. And Detroit, I think they've got, I mean, like Andre Drummond's a really nice player in the in the middle, and I do think he's going to give the Cavs 
uh, some problems, and, and it's going to be an interesting matchup with his size, and it'll be really interesting now that the Cavs are, are starting Tristan at center. Um, so there's definitely a, a – that'll be something to keep an eye on. But, I mean, by and large, Detroit's got nobody on their roster like a Paul George on Indiana, and given the choice between the two of those teams, I'd much rather see Detroit. Um, and as for the rest of the conference, um, the, the one team in the East I, I'm not really thrilled about is Miami. I think the Cavs would beat them in a series, but if anybody's going to make the Cavs work, I think it's going to be Miami. Um, they're on the other side of the bracket. Um, I'm not totally thrilled with, with Boston, although I, I think I'd be pretty comfortable in a series with them. Um, you might see them in the second round, but, um, just the way that, that whole three through six fell. And and I'll explain that in a minute, but like, they're going to end up in the five seed now against Atlanta. And that's a team they really struggled with this season. Um, yeah, you knew the teams that were going to get in. It was just what's the and of the other seven teams that are in, they fell about as favorably as as you could have hoped. I yeah, think. so I mean, if if chalk holds, you're going to see Detroit in the first round. You would see Atlanta in the second round, which is a team that the Caps have had really uh, no trouble with. Um, yeah, they, I mean they're they're, in, they're a nice team in a vacuum, but for whatever reason, they've hit their ceiling. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that, they're a the nice Caps story and. I know they were kind of the the national media darlings last year because they were one of those, um, uh, you know, try hard all star teams. Just kind of the derisive nickname I've given the the Celtics yeah, this won, year. Like, what did they won sixty six games? Last yeah, year? they they won over they sixty last year, and, and it was they had the four all stars, which I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. Um, but they're no no individual superstar. And I mean, you saw what happened to them when the Cavs got a hold of them in the playoffs last year. LeBron was skipping. Um, bringing the ball up the floor by game two of that series last year. And when I saw him doing that, I said, the series is over. It's over right now. If he, if he's doing that and, and if that's what he thinks of these guys that he can skip down the floor, dribbling the ball up in crunch time of a game on the road, then it's done. And it's exactly how that played out. So I think they, thought the same thing yeah they, exa- they never really put up a fight no and i mean things kind of unraveled for atlanta sweet. with um I, I know they had some injuries that kind of piled up in that series and you know with uh it was a cephalosha before that with the incident with the cops and i mean you know if all those things don't happen maybe it turns out a little different but i just i don't see any scenario in which atlanta was beating the Cavs last year and i sure as hell don't see one this year so um you're getting the winner of that atlanta boston series and then I mean, you get to the Eastern Finals. I mean, you might see Toronto. Um, they're the two seed, although I'm still extremely skeptical of them. I know, like, they got Damari Carroll coming back, who was a big signing for them in the offseason. Um, and he's missed a lot of time this year with a knee injury, and, and he's back now. But, um, I mean, that's a team that's uh, faltered in the playoffs when they've had home court uh, in the past. And, um, you know, they're going to have to deal with Indiana in round one, and they're going to probably have to deal with Miami in round two. Um and I, I, I think Miami's got some horses, and and even without Chris Bosh, I mean they've kind of remade um, their lineup a little bit by uh, sliding Luol Deng over to the four, and then um, moving Joe Johnson in um, the, from the uh, trade deadline or, or the the buyout deadline. They they signed him in, they plugged him in at the three, and um, it, it's worked for them. They've played really well for the most part. Although, man, it was really crazy. Did you see the game? Any of that game last night that Miami and Boston played? I saw like I saw I watched part of it actually, and it was really bizarre. Like they were, I I, I literally just watched like glimpses of it. I was following the score, and Miami was up like twenty four or something. Yeah, and then I I quickly flipped it on, and Boston was in the middle of a twenty to nothing run, mm-hmm. and got it to like five and ended up winning, and it's. I don't know what the hell happened. Um, how, <laughs> and I didn't watch enough of it to really get a feel for how the game even went the way that it did. Um, like reading uh, the recap and looking at the box score doesn't appear to do it much justice because it doesn't really make sense to me. It was a wild turnaround, just exactly what you said. I mean, I, it it did balloon to like twenty four or twenty six points, but I know after the first quarter, Miami was up in that game thirty five to thirteen. And then Miami scored five points in the third quarter. And um, I just think 
overall, Boston, I mean, they kind of have to be kicking themselves a little bit today because um, as a Cavs fan, I'm I'm more concerned with Miami than Atlanta. But um, I do think if you're Boston, seems like they've done better playing Miami than they have playing against Atlanta. And the way that bracket shook out, had Boston lost that game last night, um, Miami was getting the three seed either way because uh, the Hawks lost their game at Washington. So that, that gave Miami the three seed no matter what. But had Boston lost that game last night, they would have fallen into the six. And then that gives them a team that they match up with better, Miami, in the first round. And it puts them on the opposite half of the bracket from the Cavs. So instead, by winning that game, they actually probably put themselves in a worse spot. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you can really think about it that way, though. Unfortunately, when you're playing a game, you can't really uh, try to work it that way, especially when a lot of those seeds were still up for grabs and stuff. So, yeah, it might not work out for them, but let's be honest. None of the teams in the East really have much of a chance anyways. I know they don't think that way, but maybe Miami, like you said, that might be the one team that's a little concerning, but I don't know. Give me your predictions. Do you think any any first-round upsets in the East? Well, looking at the uh, the seed matchups here, you got the Cavs. Um, they're they're not getting they're not getting any trouble from Detroit. Right. Uh, the the four five um, Boston Atlanta there. Um, Atlanta's the four. That's a coin toss. I mean, I I do think Atlanta's um, seemed to fare well against Boston this year, and I'm sure that's not the the first matchup that the Celtics would have wanted. Um, but I. I don't know. I, I, I do think it's going to probably end up uh, if I, I think Miami will advance against the Hornets. I, I don't see them having too much trouble there. And uh, Toronto, if they don't beat Indiana, I mean, yeah, Paul George is a really nice player for them. And, and I know they've got a couple of other pieces, but Toronto's got to handle their business there. So um, I, I see the, the top three seeds handling things and um, that Boston-Atlanta uh, is kind of a coin flip for me. And you like Miami over Charlotte, I assume? Yeah. Okay. All right, so you're taking chalk in the east. Anything, Pretty much. Anything? I mean, I don't want to go too in-depth into the west, honestly. Um, no, the the west is a four-team race, and, and actually I'm going to say it's a three-and-a-half-team race because I think the Clippers finished with the four, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, and I just – I have zero respect for them. I just uh, I think they're going to get their doors blown off by the the Warriors in the second round. So. Yeah, they're paper champs. I I wouldn't be I, truthfully I wouldn't be surprised the way Portland's playing right now, and wouldn't be surprised if Portland took them down. That would be interesting, and I I think that would cause a major upheaval in uh, Clipperland. Portland's but, playing out of their mind. What they've done this year, they've only got one starter back from last year. Right. It's been nothing short of incredible in the West. The fact that they're uh, that they even made the playoffs, unless they're—I mean, they're a five seed. They had a pretty decent record. I want to say they won fifty-four, fifty-three, fifty-four games, something like that. Um, nothing short of incredible. How they did that, I don't—I don't know. But, um, or sorry, forty-four, not fifty-four. Right. Obviously, fifty-four would have been something else entirely. Um, but no, the fact that they've been able to put that sort of season together is pretty impressive. And like you said. The Clippers are—they're nothing. They're—they're they're paper champs. They're not—they're never going to really be a threat, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I would—I'm with you. I don't know if I even give them the half that you do. Yeah. I, um. No. I, the, the, the West is going to basically come down to two series. It's going to come down to the Spurs playing the Thunder. And then the winner of that in the in the conference semis, and then the winner of that series playing Golden State in the conference finals. Yep. And, and I think both of those are going to be really good series. Um, and hopefully they all go seven and they beat the hell out of each other, and we can reap the rewards from that. Sounds great to me. I <laughs> would. That's that's my hope is that whatever whoever's in the Western Conference Finals, regardless of who comes out of it, um, they come out of it. Uh, a step or two slower than they went into it. Um, I think that's sort of what you... I think, truthfully, I think the Cavs can win a series against anyone. But I'll take any 
advantage I can get. The one thing I would, and I want, I meant to mention when we were talking Cavs Pistons, and the one thing I would really like to see in this series is I really want to see Kyrie Irving have a strong series. I, you, you're going to need him. You don't need him at peak performance level uh, now to beat the Pistons, but you're going to need him um, at 100% at uh, in the later rounds, um, especially a final series. And I, we've seen it in, in bits and pieces throughout the year, but he has not really sustained it at all. And I just, I feel like this is a matchup for him. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson from uh, the Pistons, uh, it's got a little bit of an abdominal injury. Um, so if, uh, if you have a, a matchup there, I think where you can really get Kyrie going and get him into a really good rhythm, um, this is it. And I really hope he, uh, sets a tone for the rest of the playoffs and, and turns into, uh, and reestablishes himself as the guy that we know he can be. Yeah. We saw him the other night against Atlanta, had a really good game. Um, shooting percentage wasn't great, but, uh, he, he had a couple spurts there where he was really, uh, looked like he had an extra step. And uh, was scoring the ball real well, so you'd like to see, hopefully see that uh, he builds upon that, keeps that going, and can and sort of use that first round series to to uh, to kind of find his groove even a little bit more and uh, build on that consistency. Just keep playing that way throughout the playoffs. That's that's ideal. I think you're right on with that. Um, in in terms of the guys that you want to see something from, he's definitely the one where it would be the most encouraging if he could come out and 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 really play well. Definitely. All right. Uh, any more thoughts from you? Uh, NBA playoffs, Cavs, anything else? Uh, I'm going Cavs in four first round. Sounds good to me. I will co-sign that prediction. Uh, they're, they're doing Bieber a favor. <laughs> Is it wrong? I kind of want him to throw one game just to yeah, just make that guy's life more difficult. A, win it at home. B, screw over Bieber. I'm yeah, you know, bad. and that's the other thing. I think that the team ends up making like an extra million dollars um, for every playoff home game that they get. So maybe defray a little bit of that luxury tax uh, no bill. Um, no kidding. Yeah, I'm Take sure you can get. good old uh, Cavs Dan there would not, not mind. Yeah, put it towards phase two. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Mother. <laughs> All right. Uh, reminder, as always, you can catch all of our episodes at uh, thenailpodcast.com. Um, iPhone users, go subscribe already uh, to The Nail in the Coffin on iTunes. Um, follow us on Twitter at The Nail Podcast and uh, go like our Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And uh, I think that uh, that'll do it. So for Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino. This has been the nail in the coffin and uh, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Get ready race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to pit pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform, or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at hitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.